We're in a series that we've titled What We Believe, and just a few weeks ago I talked to you about the nature of God, the essence of God. God the Father, God the Son. Today we're going to talk about God the Holy Spirit and what we believe about the Holy Spirit. But just let me recap for you just a little bit. And that is, I said that we believe that God is eternally existent in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One in nature, one in essence, eternally existent in three distinct personalities. God the Father, who is the architect and the designer. God the Son, who is the creator and the executor. And then God the Holy Spirit. And if I was to put it in natural terminology, it would look like this. It looked like God the Father, the designer, the one that draws up the plans and draws up the blueprints, puts everything exactly the way that he wants it. God the Son comes along as the executor, and he takes what's on the blueprint, lifts it off the page, and begins to build an entire structure within the perfect framework and will of the designer and the architect, God the Father. So he sets the structure, places the wires behind the wall that harness the electricity, puts a switch on the wall. God, the Holy Spirit, is the power that enables everything that has been built to function within its unique design. So God the Holy Spirit takes what has been designed by the Father, created by the Son, and empowers it. He's the third person of the Trinity. And he steps into our lives the moment we surrender to the grace of God through Jesus Christ, and he empowers us. The work of the Holy Spirit can be described as the manifest active presence of God and power of God in the world, especially and expressly through his people and the church. He's at work through us, God the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk to you today about the role of the Holy Spirit, and I want to give you four different aspects of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, we can, like God the Father and God the Son, we could talk about the Holy Spirit all day long. Let me tell you something. Some of you have a bent towards one way or another, the way the Holy Spirit works, and I might not hit today what it is that you believe about the Holy Spirit, but that's okay. You continue to believe it, and that's fine. All right. Just because I don't say it doesn't mean that it's not part of the work of the Holy Spirit. I just want to give you four roles of the Holy Spirit today. And I believe that it'll bless you. Here's the first. When it comes to the role and the work of the Holy Spirit, he is the seal of our salvation. The Bible says that he bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and he provides for us a guarantee, if you will, a down payment for us for our future relationship with him in heaven as citizens of the kingdom of God. Paul writes for us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, and he's talking about Christ Jesus. He says, in him, in Jesus, you also heard, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, or until we get there, to the praise of his glory. 
He is the seal who identifies us for who, as who we are. A while back, I, um, I misplaced my wallet. Now, it's not uncommon for me to misplace my wallet. But I felt like that day I had lost it. And that is very uncommon. I've never lost my wallet. And I started to panic because, because in the, inside that wallet was everything that identified me for who I am. My driver's license was in that wallet. My, my credit cards and my debit cards were in that wallet. My military ID was in my wallet. And as I started to think about all the things that I was going to have to redo just to prove who I was, I, I honestly got into a panic. And praise God for good, for, for good women, for good wives, because my wife said, honey, why don't you check this place and see if you left your wallet there? And I said to myself, I, am, I checked everywhere. I'm not going to check there. Guess where it was? And, and, and before I picked up my wallet, I realized that in order for me to identify who I was, I'd have to go back and find some form of identification. So I went into my safe and I dug out my birth certificate. And on my birth certificate is the seal of the state of Alaska. And that seal says that this is an authentic document and that this person carrying this document is who he says that he is. It's the seal. The Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation. He identifies with our spirit to the spirit of God that, yes, we are the children of God, that we are sons and daughters of God. I kind of like that. That's, that's, that's cool. I believe I will. Thank you. That's point number one. Here's the second point. Here's the second role of the Holy Spirit. He guides and directs God's people. He guides and directs God's people. Mark, I love Mark's account of, of Jesus being taken into the woods, into the wilderness. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1, verse 12, that after Jesus was baptized, the Spirit of God drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Drove him into the wilderness. And it says, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. I love the Greek expression of that word drove because it implies that he was almost taken by force but without violence. It says that the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, drove him into the wilderness. Now, listen, I know it didn't happen quite like this, but I can just, I can just imagine what it would have been like for Jesus to be driven into the wilderness of Alaska and encounter some of them wild animals out there. The Bible says that he was tempted for 40 days, and he was hungry. Around this time of the year, there are some rascals that are getting up, and they've been fasting for a while too. And I can imagine they're hungry too. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Jesus to be driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, guided and led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil where he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, hot during the day, cold during the night. Why? Because the Holy Spirit knew 
that at the end of the temptation, that if Jesus would not yield to the temptation, after he was tempted and tested and tried, that he would come out full of the power of the Holy Ghost. And we're no different. The, 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 God allows God the Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us in and through our temptations so that at the end when we stand the test, we can also be filled full with the Holy Ghost. I just said Holy Ghost, didn't I? I just, I just went back to my Kojic days just in my Church of God in Christ days. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's our guide. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 16, verse 13. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. In other words, he's not going to boast about himself. He is just simply going to finish the work that God the Father and God the Son had already began in you. That's his role. The role of the Holy Spirit is to lead us and guide us into all truth. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 8. If we will just follow his lead, if we will be led by the Holy Spirit, he says, for all those who are led by the Spirit of God will be identified as the sons of God and the daughters of God. The Holy Spirit comes into our life to lead us, guide us, direct us, protect us. Reveal to us the things that God wants us to know. And the Holy Spirit comes into our life to empower the follower of Jesus Christ to give us power. You know, a few minutes ago, we said in the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to tell you something. When the Holy Spirit shows up, he changes the atmosphere, doesn't he? He changes everything. His presence changes everything. In the book of Acts, chapter 8, Jesus said to them, see, the disciples had, had asked Jesus, well, Jesus, when is the end of the day, and the end of the world going to come, and you're going to set up your kingdom? Jesus said, listen, that's none of your business. It's not for you to know the times or the season that the Father has put in his own authority. But then he says this, but you, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then when you receive that power, you're not going to be able to contain it. You're going to go out and you're going to be witnesses to me in Judea and Samaria and in all the uttermost parts of the world. That's what he said. In Jerusalem, to the end of the earth. That's what happens when the power of the Holy Spirit shows up in our lives. So as you move down to Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, on the, on the day of Pentecost, when it arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. Can you imagine that? Filled the house, the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appealed to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled. Everybody say Filled. filled. <laughs> This is the lively bunch today. I love it. They were 
filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The manifest presence of the Holy Spirit changes the atmosphere. And listen, when he shows up in our lives, wherever he sends us, we're supposed to change the atmosphere that we're in. When the Holy Spirit is active in our lives and we yield to his leading, we allow him to empower us what will begin to happen is we'll begin to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 and Galatians. Galatians 5 and 22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who, are, who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh in its passions and desires. Why? For if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will be evident in our life. What, what just, let me just tell you about two of them. The fruit of the Spirit. Love. The Bible says in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, he says that the love of God, God's love, the love of God, God is love, the very essence of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he has given us, that resides on the inside of us. And when the Holy Spirit shows up in us and begins to work through our lives, he'll create through us in an atmosphere of love. He'll do it. If you're hanging out, spending time in the presence of God, being saturated with the Holy Spirit, you can't help but allow him to work through you. And, and, and wherever avenue or, or, or area he places you in, You'll be filled with his presence, and that will ooze from you. So here's my challenge for you. If you find yourself in a spot where it's hard for you to love someone, then I suggest to you maybe you haven't been hanging out with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Peace, the Holy Spirit brings peace into the atmosphere where he sends us. Paul instructs us in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, that as representatives of the kingdom of God housing the power of the Holy Spirit, when we step into any situation, no matter what that situation is, the peace of God is supposed to step into that situation with us. He goes on to write in that verse, he says, the kingdom of God is not about food or drink. It's not about you. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to bring those things. And then Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13, he says, he says be filled that word filled really means control. It means be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And that's what, what the Greeks call a present tense imperative. And here's what that means. It means to continually be filled, to be constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit, the very essence of the presence of God. And when that happens, it will result in us being more loving. 
It will result in us wanting to do through obedience and in love what God has called us to do. It will result in us speaking and praying and ministering in others by God's power and in his strength and might and not our own. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to give you a little illustration because, I, you know, I think being filled with the Holy Spirit is, is a little bit different than, than how it's been defined before. They say, you know, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is like taking this glass and filling it up with water. The thing about this glass when you fill it up with water is uh, it can only hold so much, and then you dare not pour too much more in it or it'll spill out, right? It's hit its capacity. I don't think being filled with the Holy Spirit is like that. I think being filled with the Holy Spirit is like this. Balloon. Because, because, because no matter how much air you blow in this balloon, you see, I knew something like that was bound to happen. So what I was saying is that was going to be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on y'all when that balloon bust. That wasn't planned either, by the way. That just happened. I think I got another thing, you, baby. You always come prepared. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is like being filled with this balloon. Now, now, now I'm, I'm going to say it like this. If this balloon bust, then I know that that was designed of the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Watch this. You get, you, get, you get some of the Holy Spirit as you're hanging out in his presence, but there's more to be had. And you hang out a little more, and he, he fills you a little more. And right when you think you've hit your capacity, he fills you a little more. And now you walk around, and you're full in, in the very essence of his presence. People looking at you, and you're carrying the anointing of God, but he's not done with you. He fills you a little more, right? And now you think you're full to capacity, but you still hang out more with the Holy Spirit. And then before you know it, that reservoir runs a little deeper, and he fills you a little more. Oh, I feel some of y'all getting tense out there in this audience. And now it feels like it's just tight. I mean, it's tight. What you're going to do with this thing? But right when you think you've been filled to the capacity, you're hanging out with Jesus. Huh. You're experiencing his presence in life-changing ways. He sends you into environments, and you're changing the environments that you're in through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you think you got it all figured out, and he... Somebody said, pop it. I will not do it. But there lies the difference, I believe, in being filled with the Holy Spirit and allowing him to consistently and constantly fill you more and more. So how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it take? You know, I, I, most of you know that I, was, I grew up in the holiness church. Praise God. Hallelujah. In the sanctified church. They, call them, they used to call them holy rollers, right? 
And, and, and in my church, what would happen is, is, is they, they, my church believed, I was raised that, that there was a second dispensation, a second impartation of the Holy Spirit. And so when you got saved, you had to, you had to tarry, you had to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. You had to seek the Holy Spirit. It required you cleaning up your life, preparing your heart, confessing and repenting of all of your sins, hanging out and reading the Bible, totally committing every single area of your life to the Holy Spirit, yielding completely to him and waiting patiently for the promise of his filling in your life. We used to have to tarry for the Holy Spirit, man. Man, I, I would be at the altar. I mean, I remember, I remember personally me, I remember giving up everything, man. I threw all my albums away. I got rid of all my shirts that were cut down like this. I mean, I wanted Jesus, man. I was hungry for him. I, I got rid of everything that I thought was going to be a distraction. I was hungry. I sought the Lord. I stayed at the altar. I begged God for the Holy Spirit. One night I'm at a revival, Gordon Peterson. Gordon Peterson's an old television and radio evangelist. He, and I'm tears just streaming down my face. Man, it's been weeks. I've been begging God for the Holy Spirit. Gordon walks up to me. My eyes are shut. He says, he says, son, the Holy Spirit is a gift. All you have to do is receive it. Begin to feel the manifest presence of God. I had a friend of mine named Rob. Rob took off work two weeks and didn't even leave the church. Stayed at the altar. I, I went back to the church after about nine days, and Rob had grown a beard. Rob, Rob hadn't brushed his teeth, man. And Rob was just hungry for the Holy Spirit. And I was able to tell Rob what Gordon Peterson told me, and I watched him embrace the fact that the Holy Spirit is for the child of God, and the Holy Spirit came on him instantly as soon as he recognized that. And here's what I learned in all that. This is, this is what I've learned. See, see, this whole thing about tarrying was really us purposefully and intentionally placing ourselves in the presence of God and moving purposely and intentionally deeper into relationship with him, longing for his presence, being hungry to be filled. And listen, this kind of behavior, when we yield ourselves in that way, can only bring us in more into the presence of the Holy Spirit. It can only do that. I was telling some people at the table today when I was sitting down talking, you know, you can tell when somebody's been hanging out with the Holy Spirit, can't you? There's something about the way that, that the presence of God, the aura and the fragrance of God is all over them. Something about the boldness in which they speak. Something about the presence of God in their lives, you can tell that they've been in touch with Jesus and hanging out. And I'll tell you something. What that is is an indication of a desire for us to move more closely into relationship 
with God. And he wants to fill us with his presence. And I'd say this. God's, you've heard me say this before, I'm going to say it again. God's spirit is holy. And if I am full of the Holy Spirit, there's not room for any helly spirits. Where's the room for anything that's not God-like when you are seeking to be filled with the presence of God? The Holy Spirit will start to reveal to you all those things that don't line up with the fruit of the Spirit. So now it brings me to a point that I need to talk about something that I believe that... um, needs to be taught more in the church. Very controversial issue surrounding the Holy Spirit. I'll do the best that I can to tell you exactly where we stand as a church. And it's the issue of tongues. How many of you heard of tongues before? Mm-hmm. There are several schools of thought and different doctrines when it comes to tongues, and they run opposite ends of the spectrum. You have the cessationist view of the gifts and the manifestations and the miracles that occurred in the New Testament church. And the cessationists believe that all those gifts, including tongues, ceased at the death of all the apostles, that it was done at that point. There was no further reason for there to be the manifestation of the gifts. Then you swing all the way over to the other side and you have the charismatic point of view. Well, when it comes to tongues, you can walk into any charismatic, most charismatic churches, and at any given time, you can see the whole multitude praying in tongues. And then there is what I believe right in the middle is the truth about tongues. What does it mean to pray in tongues? Praying in tongues really can be defined as this. It's, is speaking in a tongue that is a prayer or a praise that's spoken in syllables that are not understood by the speaker. There are two different types, Paul indicates. He says there's the gift of tongues, and then there's praying in tongues. Praying in the Spirit is known as. Here's the difference. The gift of tongues is designed to edify the body. Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 or chapter 14, verse 20 through 25, he says, if believers then speak in tongues, that there needs to be an interpretation in the church of those tongues. He says, and, and in that interpretation, there needs to be two or three speaking in the tongue at one time at the most, and then there needs to be an interpretation of what is spoken when tongues are spoken corporately. Let me give you a real-life example of how that works. I was in a church a long time ago. I never will forget it. The Lily of the Valley Church of God in Christ in Fairbanks, Alaska. Place was full. Power. God was moving. Spirit was jumping. The music was hopping. We was jumping around, people jumping around and, you know, doing what they do in the, in the, in the charismatic church. And all of a sudden, a man just started praying in tongues. He started speaking 
in tongues. And he just kept speaking. And after a while, the music got quiet. People stopped. You could tell that God was moving in that service. And he began to speak in an unknown tongue. And there was a woman in the back of the church from Trinidad who burst into tears. And then she said, after she burst into tears, we were asking what was wrong. She said, I heard him speaking in my language. And she took us to the passage of Scripture through which he was speaking. And, and in that moment, what was revealed by the power of God through praying, through speaking in tongues, edified the entire church. I believe that if tongues are active in the church, I believe that there needs to be an interpretation of that tongue. That's the gift of tongues. I'm going to tell you this. Not everybody has a gift of tongues. All right? Okay. Now then there's praying in tongues. In our prayer language. And Paul says that that edifies the person. It's a prayer or praise that's directed to God that flows from the spirit of the person who's speaking it. It is their prayer language to God. You guys following me so far? Okay. Let me give you a real live instance for that too. So on April 6th of this year, I'm sitting probably about right here. Corey's Middle Cofer's on this side. Lee Hudson's on this side. Take a little side journey here that connects. Talking about being led by the Holy Spirit. That morning I'd gotten up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go through my normal Sunday routine. Around 6 o'clock, as a matter of fact, 5.53 in the morning, I clearly heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. You need to eat some oatmeal this morning before you go to work. Now, now, let me tell you how I know it was the Holy Spirit, because I, first of all, I know the voice of the Holy Spirit. But second, I never eat anything before I go to work on Sunday morning, let alone a bowl of oatmeal. You need to eat a bowl of oatmeal before you go to work today. So now I'm sitting here on this stool. Praise God I'm sitting on the stool, y'all. It's one of the few times I was sitting on the stool, because you guys know normally I'm like way over here like this. And, and I'm feeling like... I'm feeling like I'm anxious. I'm like, I've done this a hundred times. Why, why am I anxious? Hudson's about to hand it off to me, and I'm feeling real anxious. And then I felt like I was going to throw up. And I said to myself, I cannot throw up God in front of 200 people. Come on now. That ain't right. And then my vision got real pinpoint, and I remember, I remember looking at my wife, and I'm like, I'm, I, don't know, I don't know what's happening. I feel like I'm going to pass out. I'm looking at my wife, and she's asking me, are you okay? And I remember her asking me, was I okay? And I said to her, yes, but she said I wasn't responding to her, right? So my wife immediately, the prayer warrior that she is, steps up on the stage and begins to intercede for her husband in tongues. Now, let me give you the interpretation of that in case you missed it. God, my husband, is doing something that he's never done before. I don't know what's wrong, but I need you to protect him in this moment. And I don't have the words to say to you, so I'm going to go to you in the language that I know. Hmm. 
a little side journey there. I'll say this too. So, I, you know, they told me that my white cell count was a little low. But I went out to my doctor and had the, the subsequent test done. And my doctor said, Greg, I've seen you for 20-plus years, and your white cell count has always been low. He says, but what's remarkable to me is it's higher than it's ever been. Now, you know, I'm not one to attribute that to my wife standing here interceding for me in the spirit. <laughs> but I believe that that's attributed to my wife standing here interceding for me in the spirit. And that's appropriate. Now let me clear something else up. Paul says, Paul says, he says, listen, he says, I, 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 wish, I wish that everybody could pray in tongues. He says, I wish that you all could pray in tongues. He says, I pray in tongues more than all y'all combined. But not everyone prays in tongues. Not everyone has the gift of tongues. Not everyone has it. And let me tell you, there's not some spiritual hierarchy in the church where if you pray in tongues, it makes you more spiritual than the person that doesn't. Let me tell you something. From real life experience, whew, I'm going long today, aren't I? Is that all right? So, so I've been in the church where it's a Bible toting, fish on the back of the car driving, cars hanging on the, on the, on the, on the mirror, and pe pe people shandalah, shandalah. And you're like, whoa, these people are spiritual. Let me tell you something. They have the same problems that people that don't pray in tongues have. Man, I'm preaching today, huh? I just feel my preacher on today. I really do. So praying in tongues doesn't make you more spiritual than the next person. There's a reason for the tongue. The prayer language is to edify you personally between you and God with words that you cannot utter. And then the corporate prayer, the corporate tongue is for those who are in the church so that the church is edified. That makes sense? And here's my final point. The role in the work of the Holy Spirit. He unifies us to love and serve others. Paul writes about that when he talks about unity in the body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. He says, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were baptized into one body. He does it for a reason. He said that we can benefit and serve each other in the spirit of love. In the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 6, the Bible says that, that uh, the, the Greeks or the Hellenists, um, the, the widows, they were having trouble being seen and, 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 and having attention paid to their needs like, the, like the, um, the children of Israel, the Jewish community. And so they go to the, to the Jewish leaders and they say, listen, we feel like we're being neglected. And the apostles say to them, okay, listen, we don't feel like we need to stop doing what we're doing in prayer and fasting and interceding and leading. So here's what we want you to do. We want you to look out amongst you, disciples, and choose seven men. And here's the requirement. Who are full of the Holy Spirit. And so they chose the seven. And here's what happened. The Bible says that those men served 
the needs of the people. The Spirit of God empowers us to give us unity, to give us the ability to serve others in one spirit. I got another one for you. And Lee, you can bring your team up. In Acts chapter 8, somewhere around verse 29, we see the Holy Spirit using us for acts of service. When, when Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch and he runs up to the chariot, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit tells him, run up to the chariot and join yourself to this person. And he does. And the outcome is that man, that Ethiopian eunuch in that chariot ends up with, with information and knowledge about how God works that he wouldn't have had had God not used Philip in that moment to step into that situation and serve him. What hinders me from being baptized, he said. Philip said nothing. Just to show you how the Holy Spirit will use us. He said, Philip, baptize him. Guy came up, wiped his eyes. Philip was gone. The Holy Spirit wants to use us. He wants to unify us, church, family, so that he can use us to serve others. So let me give you some practical applications and we'll close out today of how you can hear and respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit accurately and confidently. Here's the first. Read the Word of God. Get to know Jesus through the Word of God. Because if you get to know Jesus, when all these voices that are competing for space in your head start to tell you that they're the Holy Spirit speaking to you, you'll be able to discern what is truth and what is not because of your relationship with God and His Word. So read your Word. I urge you, if you don't have a morning devotional, there are tons of them out there. Get one and put the Word of God in you every day. Another way that you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit it's through acts of compassion and love. Has the Holy Spirit spoke to you about loving someone well and living a life of love? You know, almost every week I'm up here and I'm talking to you about relationships. Listen, there is nothing more important on this earth than our relationship. Jesus went to the cross for us to enjoy vertical relationship with the Father and horizontal relationship with each other. They stretched him high and wide so that we can live as followers of Jesus Christ, a life of love through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so God has called us to live a life of love. Listen, if, 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 if you feel the urge of the Holy Spirit to render an act of compassion and kindness, that's not Satan. So move towards it. And then third and finally, You can more clearly hear the voice of the Holy Spirit through fellowship with other followers of Jesus Christ. The Bible is quite clear that it's iron that sharpens iron. 
And the Spirit of the Lord will speak to you through someone else. I've had people look me right in my eyes, and I could tell from the moment that they began to speak that it wasn't them speaking. It was God downloading something in them through them for me. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Fellowship with other followers of Christ, make that possible. If you don't have a mentor in your life that is a strong follower of Jesus Christ, I urge you to find one. Begin hanging out and fellowshipping with them and watch how the Holy Spirit will use them to speak into your life. There's so much more that I can say about the, the role and the work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to stop right there. <laughs>